Welcome to the Sunrise Podcast, powered by Sunrise Labs. Hello and welcome to Making Bright Ideas Work, a podcast from Sunrise Labs. I'm your host today, Tyler Kern. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of the show. Today we're diving in and talking about quality assurance teams and building a foundation of trust within a team and with clients. And we have two subject matter experts joining the podcast today. We're excited to have them along with us. We have Spencer Zawaski. He's the principal quality engineer and test manager at Sunrise Labs. Spencer, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, Tyler. It's good to be here. Absolutely. Absolutely. Happy to have you along. And also, we have Trisha Butat. She is the Director of Quality and Test at Sunrise Labs. Trisha, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Tyler. Absolutely. Well, I'm excited to uh, to have this conversation with uh, with each of you today. So, Spencer, let's just start off here. Can you detail for us what a quality engineer does and what your role is in, in medical device development process? Sure. So, uh, quality kind of a, a big field to talk about, uh, but specifically in terms of medical devices, what it, it and at sunrise, it means two specific things. So the, the first part starts as quality, but is most often referred to as verification and validation. Um, and that has, has to do with making sure that the product does what we say it, it's going to do uh, and that the product actually meets the needs of the ultimate users, the patients, the doctors, the operators. Um, and the other areas often called quality assurance. Uh, and that has to do with making sure that we follow the processes, the, basically the rules that we say we're going to follow, making sure that we follow our own rules and so that when we make a medical device, we can make it in a reproducible uh, and consistent fashion. So what does a what does an engineer, let's say a VNV engineer, do at Sunrise? So our customers uh, range quite a bit in terms of the the size and scale of their operations. So VNV engineers. Uh, job to make sure that they understand very clearly what those are and ultimately to make sure that the product uh, performs according to those requirements uh, and and further that those requirements are the correct requirements that they represent in fact what we want the medical device to do uh, and that it results in a safe and effective medical product. So first thing, I, you know, I have to read the requirements. So I, I have, I, I, in fact, would participate in the, uh, the writing of those requirements um, and in all of the follow-on design activities uh, that have to do with design and development. Um, the, the architecture, breaking it into different modules and making sure that different pieces are implemented. And, and through that whole process, I have to keep my eyes on the prize. I have to keep reminding myself, okay, how does this relate to those requirements? How does this relate to how the patient is going to use this device? How am I going to prove ultimately at the end of development that this device actually does the things that we said it was going to do? Most often that's testing. I have to come up with some kind of a test that will, that I can perform in a controlled way that I can execute in a controlled way and then I can record so that when we go to the FDA and say we would like to be able to sell this device uh, there's a and and here's why we think this device both meets its requirements and is safe and effective here's a pile of evidence that you can review uh, and 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 upon reviewing it you'll agree with us that we should be able to sell this medical device uh, and so I'm doing that testing I'm writing that testing I'm 
I'm uh, interacting with the design team, making sure that these are the right kinds of tests to be performing, um, that they, they haven't made it super hard for me to do those tests, or, or maybe there's a different way that I should be doing the testing. And then ultimately documenting what those tests are, getting all that approved, uh, and then executing those tests, as I said, in, in a very controlled fashion so that I can, I can carefully record all of that activity so that other people can look at what was done and say, oh, yeah, not only is this a safe and effective medical device, but you've, you've de demonstrated uh, with this evidence that this is a safe and effective medical device. So Spencer, one of the things you you mentioned there was was process. Why why is process such an important thing for you, especially as it relates to quality assurance and uh, and what you're doing with medical devices? If if you're a company of one uh, and what you're doing is creating a medical device and you invent it all by yourself and then you you make it all by yourself and then you sell and support it all by yourself, there's there's not a whole lot of need for process because uh, the entire life cycle, the entire design, the entire uh, definition of the product is in your head. And that's great. Uh, but almost no one can do that. And so when you when you have to share these duties with other people, you, you could tell them how to do it without writing anything down. But I think you'll agree that the, the way to solve these problems is to actually document what needs to be done uh, so that it can be done by various individuals uh, at various times in a very reproducible, uh, very consistent manner. And that's that's what the process offers us is, is a way to remove the personalities from the success of the development uh, endeavor. Right. We've we've created a repeatable activity that other people can can look at, can comment on, can improve or criticize a, a reproducible activity that that anyone in theory or a, a trained, at least a trained individual can come in and say, I understand how you did that. I understand how to do that. I will now you know, join your company and and do this and it won't be that oh you know we we added another engineer and they did it a completely different way oh you know you know which medical device did you get who built it like that shouldn't matter the process is, should be the process and we should all be following the process and creating a consistent and and a, a quality medical device that's that's kind of what a quality device uh, means is that it, it is consistently uh, manufactured. It's consistent in its its implementation. Uh, you know the code in a software uh, a medical device. The, the code is written by multiple different people, but they've written it in a consistent and uniform fashion. The process uh, ensures that that can happen. Absolutely, absolutely. So, Trisha, as we as we talk about. A quality assurance team. Uh, what are the principles that a good quality assurance team should be built on, and uh, and what are some of those maybe principles that uh, that you would say are are extremely important for a good quality assurance team? Listening and communicating. Uh, you know, active listening being uh, key. Communicating effectively, knowing who your audience is, leading them in understanding their options and potential solutions to some of their problems. Sharing knowledge is, is a big one. We, as an organization, share a, a, lot of, uh, a lot of knowledge. We have many uh, lunch and learns and, uh, you know, 
technical sharing sessions. Um, and as a quality department, we meet multiple times a week um, and share in our experiences. Uh, there's so much power in you know, knowledge transfer um, and sharing both good and bad lessons learned. It really helps our team to be efficient. So where does trust kind of fall into um, fall into the conversation when we talk about quality assurance teams and, and, and how they're able to work together and what that looks like for a company? Uh, kind of talk to me about trust and what it looks like for a company to, to have trust all throughout the organization so then quality assurance is able to, to operate with that as one of its principles. Kind of uh, break that down for me. Sure. Trusting in your team and allowing them to really dig in and uh, own their tasks uh, without micromanagement uh, fosters innovation. It's really exciting to see uh, the things that your team can do uh, when you trust with things. Um, I mentioned earlier uh, about knowledge sharing, and, and it's really uh, related to trust. You know, empowering people, uh, allowing them to own their tasks and own their responsibilities. Uh, really uh, puts forth a better product um, than they would if it's, you know, say me directing them uh, to do something my way. I feel like it's my job to guide them, remove obstacles for them uh, so that they can be much more productive. This is, this is way more effective than, than directing and telling them what to do. Yeah, if I can amplify that a little bit and expand it, maybe the medical device business is a, is a business about trust, like the, the whole purpose of, of having a regulated industry is so that people can purchase a medical device or be prescribed a medical device or end up in a hospital where they're using medical devices without having to worry about like, well, wait a minute, where did that come from? How do you know it works? Uh, the, the fact that the FDA stands between just a, a random company deciding, oh, we're going to make a heart pump uh, and then putting it on the market and like, how do you, there's a level of trust that comes out of the regulated system that we work in. And that, that trust is in some respects enforced by a quality assurance team. Like we're the ones that have to honor that trust uh, in a way that I don't, I don't think is, is quite as prominent to the developers in an organization. Like the developers are, are trying to implement they're trying to make the idea real, but at the end of the day, what they have to do also is is make a product that people can trust. And how do you how do you honor that? Well, that's what uh, quality assurance provides is a way to to prove that you can trust this device to make you better, to heal you, to uh, you know help you take your medicine on time, or to uh, help you breathe, or or whatever it is. It's a uh, it's it's a critical, it's an essential uh, part of of what quality assurance is. You know, part of our job is is you know twofold. One, uh, internally, uh, to make the organization understand that you know there there are rules as as Spencer's talked about um, that we need to follow, um, and and it's our job to help the development teams, you know, follow that, that path and, and help get them uh, to a product that they can then deliver to a client. And on the client side of things, it, you know, knowing that we are going to be able to get them there to help get them what they need uh, for their submission, um, that have done our due diligence, that we have 
provided them with a product that they can take forward uh, into the market. Uh, that's, you know, I think trust is a, is a big part of that. I agree. So you, you spoke about trust, Spencer, and, and the importance, especially in, in, in medical device development. Um, how does that, how, how does... How does working in an environment that, that has trust throughout it, how does that affect your role and your job? And what does that look like specifically for you? I think it's it's probably useful to try to imagine what, it, what it's like where there isn't trust. Like how does an organization like uh, Quality Assurance function in, a, in an environment where there is no trust uh, or where Quality Assurance is not a trusted organization, right? So if, if you're operating in a situation where you cannot rely on other people to do their jobs, then you can't focus on your own job. You constantly have to kind of be looking over your shoulder and trying to figure out, how can I work on this if if no one is going to help me or or if I can't get honest feedback or if, if someone is always trying to put me in harm's way um, or blame me for not meeting a deadline. So that's, a, that's a, what we call a negative definition. But the, uh, a, a more positive description of what happens when you're you're operating uh, in a trusting environment and where where quality depends on operating in a trusting environment is for for quality to function. We are inherently the loyal opposition. Like it's our job to tell people when they're doing stuff wrong. Uh, or, or when they've gotten distracted by some feature and they've left out some other feature, or when the product is not meeting the needs of the patient, uh, or, or in extreme circumstances where where someone could actually be hurt by the product, like we we have to be the people who stand up and and push against the the overwhelming desire to move forward and deliver a product and say whoa. You need to listen to me. You need to trust me when I tell you, you cannot continue in this direction. This has to be fixed or this is wrong or this needs to be addressed in some way. In, in the environment that we work in, uh, where we're a services organization, you know, people really rely uh, on us uh, to understand what it is to, to navigate uh, through the development process. Building trust within our team um, and in our project teams is, is critical. We often find ourselves in situations, you know, we're faced with a number of, of uh, you know, obstacles and criteria that we need to meet, uh, you know, whether it's, you know, on, a, on the regulatory side of things, on the budget side of things, on the schedule side of things, and, and, and getting people to, you know, the, the project team to listen to, you know, the quality organization and the things that we have to offer the project teams uh, can really help get the project to that end line much, much faster. Uh, because there are many ways to, to, to solve a problem, understand what the project is facing. Um, and, you know, coming up and working together to, to provide an optimal solution that helps meet the needs all around, that helps you know, minimize a budget impact, let's say, or a schedule impact, help producing a product that will, you know, make it through uh, whatever, you know, compliance, um, you know, 510K or PMA submission that a client will need need to do in order to get the product out on the market. It's our goal always to 
give the client the best possible uh, uh, solution to their problem, you know, their product and get that product out on the market as fast as possible. The idea that, uh, you know, a quality organization is a luxury or is an add-on or or even in, in some negative circumstances is slowing a project down or increasing the cost of a project. Um, often that sort of thinking is very short-sighted. Like the, the whole purpose of a, of a high-functioning quality organization is to make sure that you get to succeed on the first try as opposed to trying and failing and trying and failing and trying and failing. Like the, the point is to anticipate where you may fail or where you where a product might not meet meet the the requirements, uh, where the where the product might not meet the needs of the, the end users. Um, it's a lot less expensive to get it right on the first try, even if you have to work a little harder or take a little bit more time uh, on your first try to, to make it count. That, that's what quality brings to the table. And in the moment, it doesn't always seem like that's true. Uh, in the moment, it, it seems like, you know, the quality organization is moving the finish line further away. But more often than not, uh, the quality organization is making clear to you a hurdle that you haven't seen yet uh, and is trying to get you to address it while there's still time and money to address it. Um, and if you make mistakes early on that you don't correct, like they, they will destroy you in the long run. It's so important for an organization to share their thoughts and ideas and opinions. It's, it's crucial because the different disciplines come at a, a problem um, from many different directions. Um, and understanding, you know, the various concerns and being able to share those without without the fear of being wrong or making a mistake. You know, I, I think that that's you know understanding what what all the constraints are, what what everybody's concerns are. I think it just helps produce a better product all around. Understanding everybody's input to uh, to a problem you know and I, and I think that working in an organization that that promotes different thoughts uh, wants people's ideas you know we we come up with some fantastic solutions for whether it's a process improvement um, you know internal or you know in the way that we would solve our problems and 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 get the a product developed. Yeah, I, I definitely think that it plays a huge role in the organization as a whole. Yeah. And, and when you're working in an environment where uh, there's a great deal of respect and there's a great deal of trust, your opinion counts for something. People will listen to you. People want to hear what you have to say. And even when it might come out in a potentially negative or critical way. The fact of the matter is if you have a relationship and if you have a respectful relationship, people are not going to assume that you're just being a jerk, that that there's some merit to whatever you're saying and that they're going to look for the merit in what you're saying, even if maybe you're having a bad day and you're not saying it in, in the most constructive uh, and uh, conducive way. So, Tricia, in a sense, is, is trust the thing that keeps... A, a good quality assurance team from uh, from maybe operating or being perceived as the development police, the people that are there just to tell you when you're doing something wrong. Is is trust really that that uh, that ingredient that helps 
the quality assurance team from kind of being viewed as a negative entity, but rather a, a positive one that, that keeps people on the right track, following the right processes and, and the things that we've discussed? I believe so. You know, I, I think I think often um, the quality team is is seen as the quote cop, right? The police. Um, mm-hmm. I, I like to think of us more as like a crossing guard. You know, it's it's our job to help you get from point A to point B swiftly, safely. Um, sometimes we run into obstacles, but our, our engineers are equipped with skills to help navigate around those obstacles. And, uh, you know, much of what we do on the development side for medical products, you know, it's critical that we comply with standards and guidances. Um, but there's so many ways to solve problems, you know, and our team is open to listening and understanding all aspects of, of the problems, of the projects, and to help come up with the best solution and the best process for the development of that product. Yeah. You know, Sunrise is a, is a fairly small company um, and we deal on a regular basis. We deal with uh, various different clients who have very different needs. It's a rather unique challenge for a quality assurance group uh, to, to work in an environment like that, because I think when, when you're a, a single purpose com- company and you're making a single product, you can you can nail it down. You can write it all down and you can have a process that you just follow with no ambiguity and no problems. You just, it says right here, step one, step two, step three. Um, but we don't, we don't really have that luxury. We are adjusting on the fly to, to different client needs, to different clients, to, to different situations. Um, and yet the entire time we're, we're still trying to, to make sure that we are complying with the standards, with the regulations, uh, with, that we're meeting the client's expectations, that we're communicative through that whole process about why, no, why you cannot do whatever that is or why it's really better to do it this way or, well, if the client wants it that way, then we should at least do it uh, under, along along this path instead of along that path because we, we can't, we do not have that luxury of perfecting the process uh, for our single product. We are a services organization, uh, and it's it's our job to to find the custom solution for for each client. We've even had uh, you know some big players, big medical device uh, manufacturers, you know that come to us for development, and uh, while they have their own very good quality management system, it often stifles the organization from, you know, getting something done quickly, especially if it's, you know, more on the experimental side. So we, we find that, you know, in many cases, we have uh, clients who w- want to come to us because we can be a bit more agile. Uh, you know, they trust that we can get it done. Um, they know that we know what we're doing. We've, we've done it, you know, day in and day out on a, on a variety of different products from class two, uh, you know, in vitro diagnostics to class three uh, critical care. We can scale up and down and provide, you know, wh- what, we, what we think is a good uh, solution for getting the product completed for our clients. 
Spencer, are there examples that you have seen out, maybe even uh, external to the medical device world, where you have seen maybe a lack of quality assurance, um, and and as a result, the product failed or, or something along those lines? Have you seen examples of that where you look and you say that's a quality assur- assurance issue, and you as an engineer kind of can can see the signs of that? All the time. <laughs> that's, that's one of the the sort of I'll call it an occupational hazard, but you, you know, you, uh, you get used to looking at, at things a certain way at work. And when you go home, you can't turn it off. It becomes part of just how you look at the world. And, you know, I do a lot of uh, software testing at Sunrise and in my career. And so it seems like I'm always testing software. You know, if I'm in my car, like I've found bugs in the software of my car and I can reproduce them. And I have been sorely tempted to uh, call up the manufacturer and tell them that this is the bug that they need to fix. Uh, but I really, I have to turn it off. <laughs> I, just have to, <laughs> I have to draw the line there. You know, it's, it's interesting in some sense, the question that you're asking about, like, you know, lacked the necessary QA. It's a it's a hard judgment to make how much is too much. I'll say it again, you know, Sunrise being a small company uh, and being a services organization, we, we can customize our solutions to the clients and to the situations. Each different inv- uh, situation demands a different consideration for how much is enough. One of the things that larger companies have tried to do is they've they've tried to make a one size fits all solution uh, and in a lot of cases that means way more process or way more testing than might actually be wise or cost effective honestly so we have the leeway to be able to to say okay none of that testing is going to actually be important let's do some other testing or n- none of this activity is is likely to to show any benefit to the ability of the product to meet its requirements or to the safety of the product uh, we can we can just not do it or we can apply that energy somewhere else but in terms of like uh, can i give you an example of 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 a of a lapse would you say that the um, that everything going on with the maybe the boeing 737 max or something like that would be would be a quality assurance I mean, Boeing's whole situation right now is kind of a nightmare. Mm. When you skimp on the quality assurance, like it's it's the opposite side of the coin there in terms of like what's the necessary quality assurance. Like the the question becomes, okay, well, if this is too much and this is too little, then what is just enough? Like that line is not an obvious one. And if mm-hmm. an, an administration comes in and says, we're going to spend 50% less money on QA, or we're going to spend 10% less money on QA, or we're going to spend 90% less money on QA, that doesn't immediately translate into 50% more bugs or, you know, 90% more bugs or, or problems. It's, it's, it's kind of a randomized process. It increases the likeliness that something bad is going to happen after the product ships. Uh, But it's not a guarantee that something bad will happen after the product ships. And so, uh, you know, the Boeing example with the 737, 737 max and their complicated system and their autopilot and their desire to to continue to meet their their sales goals and continue to meet their their shipping schedules this is the sort of thing that you you see in a microcosm uh sort of all the time the 
necessarily the, the quality activity happens later than the design and development activities happen. Um, and if a schedule starts to slip, the temptation is to start squeezing the, the quality uh, team to make sure that they that they do their work faster somehow or that they do it in less time or that they add more people. And, you know, how much is enough is a question that you always have to answer on every project uh, individually. Even even the big companies have to make those decisions. And sometimes you have to say, OK, we're we're OK uh, not doing some kind of testing or uh, some some other kind of testing. We had a pretty elaborate we had a client come in who had decided that their relatively inexpensive medical device was going to use this relatively inexpensive battery because probably because they already had a production deal for other reasons to and had this battery in high quantities and so what they then came up with was a series of rather demanding constraints around the shelf life of the product and early on, we could sort of tell that this battery was probably not a good choice for the shelf life of the product. The nickel metal hydride batteries that you, you often deal with. So, in general, lithium ion batteries are great, but you maybe don't want to wear them on your body all the time because when they do catch fire, and sometimes they do, they are very energetic and it can be very uncomfortable to have a, a lithium battery catch fire on your persons. The older technology of nickel metal hydride is is far less uh, uncomfortable when it fails in proximity to your to your body. But there's reasons why everyone loves lithium ion batteries is because they they have like great energy density and you can charge them and recharge them uh, over and over again and they don't have memory and they uh, there's all sorts of, of wonderful reasons why lithium-ion batteries are, are great. Um, but they chose nickel metal hydride, and nickel metal hydride doesn't do as well on the shelf. Uh, and so, we, we designed some, some very elaborate tests, um, elaborate tests with, with a large amount of batteries, because we really wanted to be very, very sure that at a production scale, that when they shipped thousands or, or tens of thousands of these products, that they would all meet the bare minimum requirements that they set for each of uh, for them uh, and that they could last on the shelf under different environmental conditions. In, you know, there's always going to be some loss, but it'd be an acceptable loss of product with the battery that they chose. And so, we developed these like elaborate tests and we ended up like baking the, the batteries in an oven to simulate both the the amount of time that they would spend on a shelf somewhere and to, to simulate being in a warmer climate for a longer period of time. And then we had arranged these arrays of little battery testing circuits uh, and plugged them all in. And then we had an automated system that would like turn them on and off and charge. Uh, and at the end of the day, uh, it, it did not pass. Uh, so, I mean, that product ended up not making it to market. In fact, I suspect that, that it was largely due to the fact that they chose this battery well ahead of time and for reasons that were not the performance of the battery. They, they chose it for operational reasons, not for technical reasons. Uh, mm -hmm. And it meant that the product couldn't be, couldn't be sold. Like, it, it wasn't going to meet the, the requirements. And, and we spent a lot of time and energy basically proving it wasn't going to meet the requirements. Um, but that's better that we did that than they made the product, they manufactured the product, they shipped it around the world, and then it sat on shelves and then didn't work. 
so as expensive as it was to do all of that quality assurance, it was cheaper than failing. Absolutely. So as we as we begin to wrap up our conversation here today, we've covered a lot of ground as it relates to quality assurance. And so, Trisha, I want to give you the opportunity first, and, and then Spencer will we'll come to you. But I want to give you the opportunity to give us a maybe a summation of the importance of quality assurance and the role that trust plays throughout an organization, especially as it relates to quality assurance. So, Trisha, let me turn it over to you. Just kind of give us a, a summation of some of the things we've discussed today and, uh, and hit on the importance of quality assurance. Yeah. You know, I think one of the the major themes that we were trying to get across is that, you know, in, in, in low trust environments, you tend to see uh, hindered innovation, uh, leadership, you know, hindered growth, everything taking so much longer. It's more inefficient. It's you know, less exciting. Um, and, and I think that you, know, you have less knowledge sharing, right? We talked a bit about uh, knowledge sharing earlier on um, in our di- in our discussions. And it's it's so critical in, in what we do, learning, you know, other experiences, how we can always do better. You know, part of what we do in quality assurance is, uh, you know, continuous improvement, how we can be better, how we can be more efficient, how we can be faster, how we can put out, you know, a quality product consistently time over time in a high trust environment. Um, you know, we empower our people uh, to come up with the best solutions, to be innovative, encourage that. It keeps people excited, wanting to always do a good job, put out a quality product, um, always do better all around. It, it ends up saving the company, you know, time and money. I can definitely get on board with that. I think Sunrise is a great place to work. I think we have a, uh, a very, a very trust-based uh, and respectful environment inside quality and across the company. I think Trisha is right when she says that or implies that, uh, you know, an authoritarian organization where you're supposed to do what you're told is not an organization where you're going to find problems before they happen. People will not want to speak up to say, oh, you know, this isn't going to work or this might hurt someone. They're going to keep their heads down and they're going to try to get through the day. And and that's that's not how you make a quality product it's not how you make a safe and effective medical device hmm. you know we're we're a small company too which means that we're agile enough to be able to to jump from a process heavy uh, situation where a big company might have lots of rules that you have to follow to uh, you know a small three person startup where they don't understand what quality is and what they need is the bare minimum because they're you know, their app has to get to market in six months or something, or the window, the investors will start shutting them down. There's there's a lot of different demands on us. And, uh, you know, we're here to, to try to solve that problem. Uh, and it's a difficult job to do under ordinary circumstances. If If you don't feel like people trust you, or if you don't feel like you can trust the people you're working with, then it becomes orders of magnitude more difficult. And if your clients, your clients will pick up on that and they won't trust you and they'll be second guessing you. And that just makes the whole job harder. Yeah. It, it's uh, trust is a bedrock principle to quality assurance uh, and to making safe and effective medical devices. I encourage the engineers, whether they are 
fresh out of school or been with the group for years to speak up. They're the subject matter experts. The program managers and the engineers are depending on the quality organization to know the process, how to get those devices out and to make sure that those devices are inherently safe by design. It's highly encouraged for the quality engineers to speak up, uh, provide their opinions and, and not feel stifled, that they, that they should feel empowered to share their thoughts. Junior engineers often, you know, a fresh set of eyes to a problem. And it's really important because the team is really relying on, you know, what our, what our team knows in order to, to help, you know, solve those problems and, and, and get, that, get that device out. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you guys so much for your insight today, Spencer Zawaski and, uh, and Trisha Butat, for talking a little bit more about the importance of quality insurance, how this works within a team, and, uh, and, and the importance of this just to, to everyone within an organization. So thank you both so much for joining us here on the podcast today. Sure. Thanks, Tyler. It's a, it was a pleasure talking to you. Thank you, Tyler. It was a lot of fun. Absolutely. I, I enjoyed the conversation a lot. So thank you both very, very much. And thank you to our listeners today. We appreciate you joining us for this episode of Making Bright Ideas Work, a podcast from Sunrise Labs. Of course, we'll be back soon with more episodes of the podcast. But until then, make sure you're subscribed on Apple Podcasts or Spotify uh, to stay up to date with everything going on in this industry. And we will see you soon with those new episodes. But until then, I've been your host today, Tyler Kern. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.